0: My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. I see we've already got several folks logged on. Um, I will tell you that... This morning we are in Mark chapter 9, so you're going to grab your Bibles and open up to Mark chapter 9. Um, we'll be doing a bit of uh, structure and direction talk this morning. And uh, it's, it's coming from the text, but I want to take a second to talk about some things that we don't normally talk about, uh, at least not as much as in, in detail as we will this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 9. Um, the question we ask each week is, what is God doing in you? through his word, from the portion of Mark we have studied so far. So what is God doing in you through his word, from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? And for me, the answer, it it changes a little bit over time, but the last uh, week or two has been a lot of uh, reinforcement around how incredible a teacher Jesus was. Um, Not just his ability to engage directly, but those that, Um, both uh, loved him, those that hated him, those that weren't sure about him. Uh, He always had the perfect response, and it is a challenge to me, uh, as someone who teaches God's Word, to uh, slow down and think and basically go through the steps uh, that we use when we talk about the Bible. So I really want to start there this morning, so on the last page of your handout. So if you'll Uh, Flip down or uh, scroll down to the last page of your handout at the bottom, uh, and you can find your handout at OurSundaySchool.com, the materials for this morning's lesson as well as all of our prior materials for Mark. Uh, And uh, the homework that we have each week in Our Sunday School is pray for help uh, in understanding Mark. So this is asking the Holy Spirit to engage, uh, to enable us to understand God's Word, because without the um, illumination of the Holy Spirit, we are in the dark. Uh, sorry, Day. I'm thinking about you guys this morning without power. So, um, And then uh, the second piece of our homework is to hear Mark multiple times. So to, to hear the words of uh, the Scripture uh, read over and over and over and over. And one of the things that we find is that when we become familiar with the text of Scripture, we can then begin to think about larger and larger portions of it at the same time and how they interact, and we can begin to see God's redemptive plan uh, at work and unfolding all throughout the story of Scripture. Uh, the third is the thinking about Mark day and night, thinking about often. Um, wondering through uh, what, what happened here and why is it this in this order and why was this particular word used and how do we see the glories of Jesus when we study uh, one of the Gospels. Uh, the fourth is to talk with someone dead or alive about Mark. And you, you guys look at my bookshelf uh, each week and uh, see some of, the, some of the dead, some of the alive folks that I talk with each week and some of you I engage with each week around questions that I have about Mark's gospel and where we are and how the words interplay and what Jesus is doing and how he is showing forth his glory and his uh, fulfilling, fulfillment of the Father's will as he uh, walks through uh, Mark's gospel. Uh, five is to share your insights about Mark. So this is just, uh, hey, this is what I, I'm seeing. This is what God is doing in my life. And then six uh, is obviously inviting a member and a non-member to engage with us in this process each week. So if you are, are a member of Our Sunday School, you know that this is our homework every single week. If you'd like to be a member of Our Sunday School, this is the work that we do, uh, part of the work that we do. You can find out more about that at OurSundaySchool.com. But uh, I just wanted to start here. Because some of the things that I'm going to talk about today might sound uh, a stretch or difficult. But if you're putting in the time, if you're asking for help, if you're engaging with others, uh, these things are going to start to make a lot of sense really quickly. So I just wanted to lay the foundation, the process foundation for the information layer that is coming uh, next. So we're in Mark chapter 9. I'll read the entirety of Mark chapter 9. And I see we've got some folks that have joined us this morning. So good morning to uh, room 206. Thanks, Jessica, for setting that up. So we've also got Brittany and uh, Danus with us. We've got the Barbers in Jackson with three Harpers, Dave. Um, oh, no, that was Margie that got the math right. Of course it was. Uh, I was just about to say Dave got his math right today, but no, that's that's all Margie. Uh, so we've got the Arnolds, uh, the Clicks in the Dark, the uh, Cheryl is with us, uh, Bethany and a Cat. Yes, well done. Excellent. I love it. Um, I'm not a cat person, and you know that, but kudos for the cat getting up. We've got the Johnsons, the McGarvys, uh in the breakfast nook. Cool. I've been in that breakfast nook. It's a nice nook. Uh, Nancy Miller, good morning, Miss Nancy, and uh, Jay Arnold, good morning. Good to have you guys. So I'm going to read uh, all of Mark chapter 9, and then, Lord willing, we will walk through verses 30, 31, and 32. And if they sound familiar... That's a good thing. That means you've been paying attention uh, because they should sound familiar because this is the second time that Jesus has talked about this particular thing in Mark's gospel. So let's read uh, Mark chapter nine. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God After it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If any one would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Alright, we've had some others join us this morning. So, um, hey, the airs are here. Good morning, guys. Uh, the Landers, the Gregs. good morning to uh, all my friends in North Carolina. And then uh, the Velocins on the beach. Well, fantastic. You guys have a better view than probably any of us do this morning. I hope you guys have a good, restful time at the beach this week. So we're in uh, Mark chapter 9, and a couple of the questions that we ask each week, one is, are there any literary or structural observations? And if you... If you picked up on this fact that Jesus is, is repeating himself, that's, that's a good sign. And that's something that we're going to talk about here in just a couple of minutes as it relates to the structure of Mark's Gospel as a whole. So we'll uh, start in verse 30 here. So if you got your handout, we're on page 293. It's incredible. We'll have uh, significantly over 500 pages, maybe over 600 pages for Mark's Gospel by the time we're done. Uh, Word doesn't like that, so I'll have to split it up into multiple files just because that's the way it works, but first world problems. Verse 30, uh, they went on from there. So this would be Jesus and his disciples. We know this from the context of what's coming next. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. Now, Galilee is important in Mark's gospel from a structure perspective. So one of the things that I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the structure of Mark's gospel and I uh, want to start with just looking at some of the outlines that are available in Mark's Gospel. So these are some of the resources that I have on, um, uh, on my bookshelf. And uh, most of these are considered the, uh, the most technical or the most uh, famous, if you will, most helpful um, devices or commentaries or uh, scripture aids uh, available in the study of Mark's gospel. So we've got, uh, and I've listed them here in uh, chronological order because I want you to see how how structure shifts and how lenses are shifting as we move through time in the study of theology. So we start with uh, Cranfield's Cren- uh, 1959 work, of The Gospel According to St. Mark, and then uh, Lane's uh, New International Commentary of the New Testament, his uh, issue there, uh, The Gospel of Mark in 74, Uh, France uh, talks about his uh, Gospel of Mark in the uh, New International uh, Greek Testament commentary. Sorry, I had to look on my uh, shelf there for a moment. Uh, Then we get uh, Baker's exegetical commentary on the New Testament, Strauss's exegetical exegetical, uh, commentary on the New Testament, and then uh, Schnabel, which is probably my favorite name of all the guys that I have that I study Mark. Uh, a very recent work in uh, 2017. So if we look at these and we just kind of structure them, uh, I'll show you about the, uh, how these are arranged here in just a second. But the, the first four have, as part of their outlines of Mark, a geographical component. So where Jesus was matters as it relates to how the major divisions of Mark are shown in their outlines. Uh, and the last four... I'm sorry, the last three, uh, talk about thematic elements. So uh, I'll show you some examples of these in just a second. But I do want you to notice that in 08, Stein's overlaps. He's got both a geographical and a thematic uh, component. And you might be thinking, Jim, why does this matter? Well, I want to I show you the struggle that we have to put Mark's... Um, to put Mark's gospel into a smaller buckets, so that we can think about different sections as holistic pieces. If you, if you remember back when we went through Romans, we had uh, seven or eight major divisions of Romans, and these were largely just times when the Apostle Paul would change uh, topics, uh, as it relates to the components of the argument that he was making for the cause of uh, Jesus Christ and his gospel both being true. So you see. Uh, that the the older uh, commentaries here have, uh, everybody agrees that the first 13 verses are the beginning or the prologue or the introduction, some kind of uh, description like that. And then there's this Galilean section, really starting about halfway through chapter 1 through uh, verse 13 of chapter 6. Uh, and then you move to this outside or beyond Galilee section. And then... And, and this is where we are right now in our section of Mark, we are headed toward Jerusalem. So Jesus has, has begun to talk about what is going to happen, and he has turned his face toward Jerusalem. And uh, we hear this Jerusalem talk and this uh, march toward Jerusalem. And then we have several chapters where he's in Jerusalem, 11 through 13, uh, the Passion period, 14 through 15, and then uh, the resurrection in chapter 16. Now, I'll also show you... Uh, France's work in 02, uh, you'll see that in the first really eight chapters, he kind of bundles Galilee and outside Galilee, all this together. And then we turn toward Jerusalem and we go to Jerusalem. But it's all very geographical based um, study of Mark. And then, then we start to kind of transition to geography and theme. So Stein's work in 08, he's got a section, who is this Jesus and then his mission and misunderstanding. So you see, this is this is not based on where you are, until you get to the middle of chapter eight, and then we start to head to Jerusalem, his entry into Jerusalem, and then the Passion uh, and the Ascension at the end. So we kind of see this shift start to take place. And then in the modern, uh, the very, very recent uh, commentaries, we see this focus on Jesus' Messianic authority. Uh, We see this focus on Messianic suffering, and then this uh, announcement of the resurrection. So there's I do want us to understand that there's been a shift in the way that uh, theologians look at Mark because before it was very primarily geography-based and not necessarily thematic or uh, conceptual-based. And this has just been uh, happening over time. So, so since uh, a lot of folks bucket Mark by geography, I just want to kind of go back and make sure that we understand exactly where we are. Mark's Gospel. So we're looking at a map here, and uh, the red outline is Galilee, and I've drawn kind of a green circle around Jerusalem at the bottom. So this this area at the top, this is where we've been, uh, and this is where we're going to be for the next uh, chapter or two, really until Jesus uh, begins to uh, make his way into Jerusalem. So we'll see some other things that happen in between Galilee and Jerusalem until we get to Jerusalem, but this is this is primarily where we have been, so I just wanted to make sure that that we understood uh, conceptually where we are. So, Mark introduces Jesus. There's tremendous amount of work in and around uh, Galilee, and then Jesus begins to talk about what's going to happen in Jerusalem. So, his uh, his betrayal, his giving, being given over into the hands of these religious leaders, his um, this, this just horrible, horrible pain that they're going to inflict on him, this torture, his death, and then his resurrection. We've just finished seeing Jesus lift up a boy so that he rose again, that he rose. And this is an important visual that Jesus is painting for the disciples. So um, when I see the word Galilee in Mark's gospel, it orients me that, yep, we're still in this one physical place. We haven't started to really move toward Jerusalem yet. But while he hasn't moved toward Jerusalem yet, Jesus has turned and he is looking that direction. He is now looking this direction and speaking to his disciples about what is going to happen. And this is a kindness that Jesus gives to his disciples, telling them what's going to happen. They, they didn't understand it. They were really scared. But this is, this is one of the ways that Jesus is being kind. Uh, one of the things that I got as advice on uh, raising kids was it is helpful to give kids a little bit of a heads up about what is coming next. You just surprise children with new information and new settings and new experiences, and it doesn't always work out well. right? But if you give them a little bit of a heads up about what's coming, they can get comfortable with that idea. They can settle into this is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. And Jesus really just models that for us here in Mark 9, 30 through 32. So back to the text here. So they went on and from there and passed through Galilee. So they're moving through Galilee. They're heading somewhere else, heading to Capernaum, as we see in the next uh, section. And he did not want, and this want is imperfect. So this is his choice, his desire. This is a, a repeated uh, a concept. So he repeatedly did not want anyone to know. So Jesus didn't want people to know where he was. And and what we have to remember is that Jesus didn't come to be everything to everybody all the time, right? Sometimes we hear uh, teachings and it almost sounds like, he came for everybody all the time. No, 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 no. There's massive chunks of the gospels where Jesus gets away with his disciples because this is about their training. Yes, he is the Messiah. Yes, he came on a mission to fulfill the father's plan. Yes, he was supposed to live a perfect life a perfect death and a perfect resurrection. Absolutely. But a substantial portion of his life centered around these 12 men. And uh, he didn't want anyone to know. Verse 31, we get into this for, there's a reason for this, for he was teaching, again, this is in the imperfect tense. So he's repeatedly teaching his disciples saying, repeatedly saying this thing and So I'm going to, I'm going to pause from the text for just a second. I'm going to dive in. I'm going to get really uh, geeky for just a moment. And then I promise I'll come back out Um, saying to them. And then I've highlighted the word Hoti, H-O-T-I. And uh, so, so I've been, I I am not a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination. I have a lot of resources, a lot of helps. I draw on a lot of stuff to help me understand how this works. Uh, And I've actually started, uh, uh, engaging with a Greek professor on a very regular basis online. Not, not a one-on-one. I found some resources that I, I think are very easily consumable for me. And he's helped me understand what this word is for, because I keep seeing it in all these places in Mark. And I keep seeing it, I'm like, why does nobody ever translate this thing? It just kind of gets skipped. And what I wasn't understanding is that hoti was a way in Greek to let the reader know I'm about to use a quotation So when you see in your English Bibles, because the original had no quotation marks, it had no punctuation, it actually had no spaces even at all. Like all the words were just crammed next to each other. It was all in capital. It was just, I can only imagine how difficult this would have been to read. Uh, We have a lot of benefits from having modern typology that we're uh, accessible to. But I've highlighted the word hoti and I've highlighted the quotation mark. That hoti kind of gives you a heads up in Greek that a quote is coming. Uh, So, that to me was just kind of cool to understand that this is how we interpret this in, in our English language. So, unpause the Greek. I'll get back to this. So, the son, the man, is going to be delivered. This word is to surrender or to yield up. Um, and this is a passive tense. So, this means uh, this action is being done to the subject. Somebody else is doing the action to the subject. So, uh, somebody is going to surrender or yield up Jesus... He's going to be delivered into the hands of men, and if you if you know your Bible, I, I would accept if I was giving an exam on this on this topic, I would accept two good answers to who surrendered or yielded up Jesus. Um, the one that might pop in your head immediately is Judas Iscariot, right? So Judas sold out Jesus. He sold him uh, for thirty pieces of silver, and it could be very easily interpreted as this is uh, this is a reference to Judas. And I will tell you that I would also accept God the Father because it was the Father's plan for the Son to go through this. And the Father orchestrated and allowed all of these events to happen to the Son so that the Son would be delivered into the hands of men. So we have this kind of man view versus this God view of what this might actually be referring to. And as is often the case with Jesus' words, I think he could very easily be referring to both at the exact same time. He was an incredibly complex and simple communicator. Complex in that there was a lot going on with his words, and simple in that when he wanted somebody to understand, they understood, and when he didn't want somebody to understand, they didn't understand. He had reasons for both. So the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. These are these religious leaders, and they will kill him. Now this is a future indicative. So when Jesus gives a future indicative, mark it down. This is going to happen. This is a fact, right? Because an indicative is a fact on the from the perspective of the speaker or the writer. So they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise again. This is also a future indicative, but this is a future middle indicative. And the middle is when this, I'm going to read here, when the subject acts in his own interest or performs action on himself or for his own benefit. Did you get that? So when the subject acts on his own interest or when the subject uh, uh, performs an action on himself for his own benefit. So Jesus uses the middle when he says he will rise. (laughs) So Jesus just drew a distinction between his rising and the boy's rising that he just visually demonstrated for the apostles. Because Jesus had to lift up the boy, but Jesus would lift up himself and nobody else has been able to do this everybody else who's ever risen from the dead did it under the power of somebody else not my savior he will rise in verse 32 one of the most com- you should be really comfortable with this phrase at this point right <laughs> But they did not understand. And and I will tell you that if you regularly attend church, if you regularly read your Bible, if you regularly listen to Bible teaching, and this is your normal space, like I just didn't understand it, don't lose hope. You have friends with the disciples. (laughs) It is okay. All right. They did not understand. It's agnoeo. Uh, This is the the opposite of gnosis. This is the not uh, knowing. Uh, And this is an imperfect, right? So Jesus repeatedly told them these things, and they repeatedly didn't get it. This was not a, he told them once and they didn't get it back in uh, earlier in uh, chapter 8. He told them again here in chapter 9, they didn't get it. No, no, this is over and over and over. This is a lot of teaching that Jesus is doing, and they weren't getting it. And Jesus' objective here is not to embarrass the disciples. He's not trying to hold these teachings in a very public forum and illustrate for everyone, ha ha, look at my disciples, they don't get it. No, I mean he's he's doing this privately. And this is a a message that is not ready for Jesus to publish widely yet. He hadn't told them, go tell everybody that the Son of Man is going to rise again. That's not the point. That's not where we are in the narrative. He's... Looking toward Jerusalem, but he's not there yet, right? And Jesus understands that there's there's timing involved with releasing this particular communication. And if you've ever been involved in a uh, communication timeline or uh, in a rolling out of information, you know that there might be a very small group that knows something at first, and then it's a a larger group that knows, and then there's a big public event and That's exactly what Jesus is modeling for us here. He's modeling effective communication relative to the greatest event in the history of the earth at this point. Right? So this is, he's doing a lot of things all at the same time with his uh, communication. So, but they did not understand. They did not know. And this can mean, this can mean everything from to not know, to ignore. And, I I would argue, based on what happens right after every one of these times that Jesus tells them what's actually going to happen, that sometimes it was they didn't get it, and sometimes they were ignoring it. Because the very next section talks about, well, which one of us is the most awesome? Well, it kind of feels like they might have just ignored what the Son of Man (laughs) was about to do, because they, they didn't get it, and they didn't focus on Jesus. They were focused on themselves. And then sometimes what happens when we don't understand something, we just kind of put it in the bucket of, well, I'm just not going to think about that, right? I'll think about that tomorrow. <laughs> this kind of a, well, I don't, I'm don't, i not sure I get that, so I'm just going to ignore it. And ignoring truth is incredibly dangerous, both physically for us, but certainly spiritually for us. Now, one of the most beautiful things that we have is a copy of the scripture for us today that we can directly engage with. It's incredible. It's amazing to be able to have this. And if we decide intentionally or unintentionally to ignore truth, that has ramifications, right? It has real ramifications. Um, several years ago, we took a trip to South Carolina, and we were coming back from South Carolina. And I don't know if you've ever you've probably experienced this on the interstate before, where there's a, a period of construction and then a period of no construction, and then a period of construction and then a period of no construction. And I am one who rounds up the speed limit a bit. And uh, as I had incorrectly uh, missed one of the signs that said, "Hey, you're entering a uh, area of uh, the interstate with a different speed limit," and. Uh, uh, zipping along through. I think everything's going fine. See the flashing lights in the rearview mirror. my like, God, uh, isn't good. I pull over, and the police officer uh, asked me a question. And to this day, I think it's the most brilliant question I've ever been asked as far as there was no wiggle room in it. He got my information. He looked at my license and said, Mr. Fleming, do you have any legal justification for expe- exceeding the speed limit? And I thought... Do I have any legal justification for exceeding the speed limit? There is no wiggle room whatsoever in that sentence. Like none. No wiggle room. Like, well, I didn't see the sign. That's not a legal justification. (laughs) Well, I saw it and I decided to go far higher. That's not legal justification. Well, I didn't agree with it. That's not a legal justification. And Jesus is telling the disciples here the greatest truth, that he is the Son of Man and what is about to happen when we go to Jerusalem. They didn't get it over and over and over. So they did not understand the saying, and, (laughs) wait, there's more, they were afraid to ask him. And this uh, afraid is a plural imperfect. So this describes the group. So the group as a whole was afraid, imperfect, repeatedly. So Jesus would teach this concept. They would not understand and be afraid. Jesus would teach this concept. They'd not understand and be afraid. They would teach this concept, not understand, be afraid. I mean, this is just We're just cycling through this stuff at this point, right? And that's the end of this particular section. You might be thinking, well, like... What do we learn from that, Jim? I'm like, okay, a couple of things. Application number one: uh, Jesus repeated important messages. Right, he knew they needed to get who he was and what he was about. This was going to be important for them to know. Turned out, this was pretty much what all of them focused on the rest of their lives: who he was and what. I'm excluding Judas, scared here who he was, and what he was about. So what do do we do with that? Well, I would say that we, as a group of Christians, should repeat important messages, right? The gospel, the message, the life of Jesus Christ is the most important message. And when we repeat it, that's a good thing. When we share it, that's a good thing. When we tell it to ourselves, that's a good thing. When we share it with our family, that's a good thing. When we put it online, that's a good thing. Repeat important messages, right? This is what we do, this is what we do. So application number two, the disciples repeatedly did not understand, <laughs> right? The disciples repeatedly did not understand. So what do we do with that? Well, I'll, I'll say first, uh, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask. Uh, w- one of the things that um, one of the things that that I uh, I dread is when I get to the end of the lesson and, and this hasn't happened uh, since we've been teaching online because I don't get as much communication with you guys this way. But at the end of a lesson in person, and I have somebody come up to me afterward and they go, I didn't, I was kind of scared to ask this during class, but what about, and I think, no, I want to create a open, accessible, fear-free environment for asking questions. This is good. And I want you to ask questions. I'm going to try to help and respond in a way that is prayerful, that is thoughtful, that is focused on scripture, that is engaging a broad set of Christians, and uh, that helps build up and helps us understand what we are supposed to do with the text. So, uh, so don't be afraid to ask, and I'll give you, a, I'll give you a, a couple different groups to ask. So first, ask the Holy Spirit, right? If you if you read something or hear something you don't understand, Holy Spirit, help me understand this. I don't get it. Right? And James talks about the the Spirit lo- loves to give wisdom to those who ask. Fantastic. This is great because we need wisdom and we don't have it. God has wisdom. He's got it. He wants to give it. (laughs) This is a a beautiful, beautiful situation in our favor here, right? So the disciples repeatedly did not understand, so don't be afraid to ask when we don't get it. So ask the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ask your pastors. Ask your teachers. Ask your friends, right? Ask the people who are are putting out the information that you don't understand. Like, hey, I, I don't get that. Ask questions, right? This is a good thing. This is one of the things that the disciples model for us over and over and over in the New Testament. Is like, hey, I've got a question about this. And if you, uh, I, I read through the Gospels a couple years ago with the perspective of what theology do we get that Jesus articulates because of a question that a disciple asked. And it is an unbelievable amount of teaching that we have recorded for us as a response to something that somebody raised their hand and said, hey, I've got a, I don't know if they raised their hand, but somebody said, hey, you know, I've got a question about this. Um, so ask. This is good. This is what God does. And then uh, application point number three, Jesus knows the future. <laughs> right? Jesus knows the future. So what do we do with that? I would say we trust him with the future. He knew what he, who he was and what he was about. This wasn't some, like he woke up one day and thought, you know, I think I'm the Messiah. No, 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 no. He knew the entire time. <laughs> the absolute entire time. Of course he did. He's God. Right? It's amazing. So he knows the future so we can trust him with the future. When Jesus declares something to be true, it is true. When he declares something that is going to happen, guess what? It is going to happen. And that is good for us. Yes, Mitch, he is the resurrection power. Oh, sorry, Eric, I missed the NLT. It says, betrayed into the hands. Yes. Um, Betrayed into the hands. Yeah, delivered into the hands. Yes. There's several different ways that you can translate that that particular word. It's a good translation that NLT has there. Uh, All right, so that's the application and the personalization for today's lesson. You've got your... You've got your homework at the bottom of the page there. Pray for help in understanding Mark, hearing Mark multiple times, thinking about Mark often, talking with somebody dead or alive about Mark, sharing your insights about Mark, and then inviting a member and a non-member to engage with us as we uh, study Mark. I will say don't forget uh, to subscribe. You can get to our weekly email, our podcast, our YouTube channel at Uh We've also got our... Um, uh, prayer time that we'll go into here. So if you want to write in the comments any of your prayer requests, if you want to engage and pray for somebody that's not with you right now, and then if you want to go to a Stuart Heights campus, either on, at the, on Facebook or YouTube or, or the website later today for worship, I'd strongly encourage you to uh, engage in worship. And uh, with that, that's the end of our lesson for today. Uh, love you guys. Miss you guys. Can't wait to see you. Uh, but until then, grace and peace and uh, trust Him with your future. Thanks guys. So I'm back for just a second. A couple of you may still be with me. I forgot to talk about the shirt. So two things real quick. Uh, Our theological lenses may shift over time. The theological lenses that the uh, commentators from uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago looked through were very geography-based, right? They were looking at the structure. Uh, What I would suggest that we do, how we could personalize this, is keep observing, keep looking at it through different lenses, through this lens, through the geography lens, through the theme lens, through the what is Jesus doing lens, through the asking questions lens. And my shirt today is the uh, Millennium Falcon, and it is, so I hold it up here, we can see it. Uh, It is uh, a lot of different colors that have been applied to the Millennium Falcon. And this shirt actually brings out components of the Falcon that I hadn't noticed before because of the different colors. So strongly encourage you guys, look at the text through lots of different lenses. It's good. It's helpful. And with that, I'm really done this time. Thanks. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.